Hello and welcome. We're really pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We've been forgiven because Jesus has paid the price. Because where there is sin, there must be blood. And it's the blood of Jesus that's been shed on your behalf. There is an ache in every human heart that longs for something. We're in pursuit of happiness and there are some common causes for what gets in the way. But wait, there's more. God's Word shows you how to find peace for your soul. Whether you're ready to acknowledge it or not, you need God's forgiveness and the wisdom of His Word for your soul. This is a powerful message. Please stay tuned as we join Dr. Corbett now for That I May Forgive. There, there is the first five books of the Old Testament are called the law. And the law actually just straight up says this is God's ultimate standard. The next five books are what we call history. And their journey from uh, establishing a king and how the kings eventually led to them losing their way. Then we come to the next section called poetry. Then we come into the last section of the Bible and it's in two sections, major prophets, minor prophets. And we're now looking at the second major prophet. So today we want to deal with this, these three verses where Jeremiah is talking about God's forgiveness. And this is a forgiveness that his audience continually rejected. They just didn't want it. Maybe they didn't feel they needed it. Maybe they didn't feel they could have it. Because it's going to be a heavy and hopefully we finish light and positive. That's my hope. I thought I'd start with a joke to kind of ease you into this. Is that okay? I don't normally warn you about jokes, but the way I normally start them, it's about halfway through you go, is he joking? Or is... So I just thought I'd straight up tell you, this is going to be a joke. That's a cue for whether it's funny or not, laugh. The Preacher Sunday sermon was forgive your enemies. Toward the end of the service, he asked his congregation, how many of you have forgiven your enemies? About half held up their hands. He then repeated his question as it was about half past lunchtime. This time, about 80% held up their hands. Obviously, they wanted him to get on with it. He then repeated the question again. Again, it was getting late into lunch, and everybody responded except one small elderly lady. Mrs. Jones, inquired the preacher from the pulpit, are you not willing to forgive your enemies? I don't have any. She replied, smiling sweetly. Mrs. Jones, this is very unusual. How old are you? I'm 93, she replied. Oh, Mrs. Jones, what a blessing and a lesson to us all. Would you please come down to the front of this congregation and tell us how all these years a person can live 93 years and not have an enemy in the world? Off she trots down the front. The little sweetheart of a lady tottered down the aisle, faced the congregation and said, I outlived all the old hags. <laughs> this is taken from verse 3 of chapter 36 where God says that I may forgive. And this is going to be a profound point. I hope that you see how profound this is because there are people that say God will forgive. It's okay. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter the choices I make. It doesn't matter what I do, what I say, where I go, who I do it with. I know I'm forgiven because God's a forgiving God. It'll all be right. 
And here we're going to find this amazing statement, I may forgive. <laughs> that I may forgive. Now, if you were assuming God just automatically forgave, you may want to listen to this. And if you haven't experienced God's forgiveness, can I tell you that toward the end of this, this is where I'm going. I'm going to make two appeals by the time we're done. And one is that if you haven't experienced God's forgiveness, you will do something about it. And I want to show you how you can. And secondly, my other appeal would be if you don't see that this is the greatest human need and it doesn't move your soul and your heart isn't grieved by it, then I hope by the end of of, of this that you are moved. I, I... I'm watching the speeches of some of the politicians last night and, and I'm, I am, you would not have wanted to have been in the lounge room when I was listening because I was getting aggro. I, I heard, and I'm not going to say who it was, but they said this, our main job is to look after our environment. Our main job on this planet is to look after Tasmania. Because if we look after Tasmania, it will, and I think this is an exact quote, it will spiritually nourish us. And I thought, I have long suspected that's what you believed. That's the first time I've heard you straight up say it. And it's based on a manifesto written, and he he referred to one of the gentlemen who was part of writing the manifesto, where in that manifesto, which is a document with a plan to change society, they say this, Mother Earth is a spirit called Gaia, and we are here to serve Mother Gaia. Therefore, we cannot cut down her trees. We cannot use her resources, because we are here to protect her resources. And then I heard him just straight up say it last night. I was angry, I was upset, but I was glad at the same time. And we have people who hear this, it's, it's beyond nonsense, it's wickedness, it's satanic, it's demonic, <laughs> it is devilish. And they get involved in all kinds of things that destroy their soul, not nourish their soul. And the result is they live with a guilt They don't know what to do with. And as I look at people who are battling with guilt, I see them resort to some very common things. One of the most common things is described in Romans chapter 1, when you are guilty. Paul says it is like taking your hand and putting it on a hot plate. And you go, ow, that hurt, man, that hurt. And you know there's one way guaranteed to make it not hurt? Keep doing it. Keep doing it doing it get more into it throw yourself into it hang out with those who do it because after all if everyone's got a burnt blistered now calloused hand where the nerve endings have been killed and destroyed maybe you're not so bad after all and i see people try and deal with their guilt like that and it breaks my heart it breaks my heart and god is a forgiving god but this forgiveness is not automatic And we see Jeremiah describe this. Let's go through these, just three verses. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, 
This word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Can I just point out, this is not like some of the other holy books where they invent kings, they invent kingdoms, they invent realms. This is a historical landmark. You can actually go back in history and you can pinpoint exactly when he's talking about. This is what separates the Bible from all other holy books. You can test it. These are real people at a real time. Verse 2. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I've spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah until today. Verse 3. It may be that the house of Judah will hear. How are they going to hear? You see what's happening here? God says, write it in a book. Get them to read the book. In other words, get them to read my word. And it may be that they will hear all the disaster that I intend to do to them so that everyone may turn from his evil way. See the heart of God? To get people to turn from the evil way that I may, note that word, may forgive their iniquity and their sin. That I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Do you want to know your sin's forgiven? Do you want to know your iniquity's forgiven? Do you want to know that if you were to die right now, and all of us are really just one heartbeat away from standing before God, none of us know that our next heartbeat is coming. None of us. We all are one heartbeat away from standing before God. And don't you want to stand before God knowing that your sins are forgiven? I do. You know, for me, the fact that not only does God forgive, God adopts. Not only does God adopt, he glorifies. In other words, he's going to prom- he, he, he makes us his children. And when we enter into his kingdom, he not only says, well, you're my child, but you can't have any of my things. No, no, we get the full deal. We get the full inheritance. He promotes us. It's called glorification. We read about this in the New Testament. It doesn't just end with forgiveness. God has done so much for us. But I've got to tell you, if it was just forgiveness, that'd be enough. <laughs> that'd be enough. To know that we could not be, not be separated from him for eternity. You know, when you're forgiven by God, your eyes are opened and you see it's not about just going to heaven. You know, if, if you were to discover that heaven did not have Jesus, would you want to be there for eternity? Hopefully your answer is, without Jesus, no, I, wherever he is, that's where I want to be. But what if that's not heaven? Well, I don't care what you call it. I just want to be with Jesus. And if you talk like that, I go, now there's someone who gets it. There's someone who gets it. There's someone who realizes that everything is about Jesus. This is about Jesus. I come today to be in church because it's about you, Jesus. It's about you. It's about Jesus. I come to, to, to be seen by people because I want people to see Jesus in me. I want people to know Jesus. It's about Jesus. If I hurt someone, upset someone, if I offend someone, I feel like I've not only let them down, I feel like I've let Jesus down and I'm grieved because of it. And when I die, I want to be with Jesus forever. You with me on that? It's about Jesus. Being forgiven is not just a matter of, oh, phew, oh, great, tick that box. It's, it's about eternity with Jesus. And you know what? The sweetness of that relationship with Jesus can start right now. It can start right now. Jesus doesn't offer you the fact that you'll have the best life now. He offers you the best life then. (laughs) The best life is yet to come. So we read this where God says that I may 
forgive. And this highlights for me that there is an ache in every human heart and people try to medicate it. They try to drown it. They try to party it out of their mind. They try and blast it out of their ears. They crank the music up because the silence reminds them there's something wrong. There's something wrong. There is an ache in every human heart that longs for something. And they call it a thing. They call it a relationship. They call it a toy. They call it that new job. They call it that, oh, I need a holiday. They call it a bottle. Oh, I need a drink. (laughs) You need Jesus. That's what you're longing for. You need Jesus. You don't need a drink. You don't need a holiday. You don't need a pill. You need Jesus. That's what you need. And when, when you accept Jesus, part of the glory of that is that he, he transacts with those he forgives. <laughs> you can know his forgiveness. There's an ache in every human heart that has a cause. You know, I said before that Paul in Romans chapter 1 gives the picture of a hand going onto a burning iron and ow, ah, oh, yow. But Paul says if you keep doing it, you'll sear, you'll callous. You'll burn the nerves off and it won't hurt anymore. Every hurt has a cause. Every hurt has a cause. Every, every twinge of guilt has a cause. Every ache of the soul has a cause. Sleeplessness, where we're tossing and turning, wondering, am I forgiven by God? If I was to die right now, where would I spend eternity? Those things that keep some people awake at night, like, for example, the author of Hark, the Herald, angels sing do you know who wrote that charles wesley you ever read the story of charles wesley charles wesley was an anglican minister here's charles wesley who has gone to america to be a missionary failed horribly come back to england with his tail between his legs and he is crying out where is god Am I right with God? I don't even know if I know God. And he began to seek God and he became convinced that he didn't know God. And he spent something like 10 days in bed. He was so sick, worrying about his eternal destiny. He began to cry out to God. Someone gave him, I think it was the writings of Martin Luther, and he read them. He read that salvation is a matter of what you do. It's a matter of what Jesus has done. That's why we say Christianity isn't spelt D-O. It's spelled D-O-N-E. All done. And he read that Martin Luther said, it's by putting your faith and trust in Jesus that you receive forgiveness of sins. And with that, Charles Wesley cried out to God to be forgiven by sins because of what Christ had done. And he arose from that bed, healed and whole, light-hearted. And he went on to write thousands of hymns, many of which we sing at Christmas time. Charles Wesley. We could talk of others who would just, would just overcome with this sense, am I forgiven by God? There is an ache in every human heart that has a cause and there is a happiness that the human heart longs for. We long to be happy and we hear people use this language as if it is the very purpose of life itself, as long as you're happy, as long as you're happy. And here's the thing, that God has provided the means for each of us to find the happiness we long for. There's nothing wrong with being happy. I mean, given the alternatives, it's not bad. Happiness or the alternatives, pick happiness. 
Nothing wrong with that. I know some Christians go, well, uh, the Christian life is not about being happy. And they model it. (laughs) But given the options, it's not a bad option. And God has provided the way for each of us to be happy. Now, here we come back to these three verses in Jeremiah. We're we're around uh, 600, 590 or so BC. And Jeremiah is pleading with the people because they are miserable, but yet they are doing everything they think that will make them happy. And they're utterly miserable. They are breaking the laws of God, which they think will make them happy. And the result has been that they are more deeply miserable than ever before. Jeremiah is pleading with them. Why is he pleading with them? Why do we plead with our generation? Why do we plead with our generation? Don't kill our unborn. Don't dispose of people who you think are just taking up a hospital bed. Don't treat people like this. Don't do this. Why do we talk like this? Why do we say we care about husbands and wives? We care about people in their relationships. Why are we saying this? Because just like Jeremiah, we care. We actually really care. And Jeremiah deeply cared about his nation. He was known as the weeping prophet, the prophet who wept. He deeply cared. I have seen people in this church who deeply care about our state. That when they begin to talk about our state, they literally, their eyes well up with tears. Because they care. They care. Jeremiah is told, write it down so that they can read it. And it highlights the point that God has given us his word. He's given us his word so that we can avoid the pain of the hot fry pan. We can avoid it. I mean, good grief, why would you want to put your hand on a hot fry pan? Why would you want to do that? And yet some people, that is exactly what they're doing. They'll cheat on their spouse. They're putting their hand on a hot fry pan. They'll rob from their employer. They're putting their hand on a hot plate. They'll lie. They'll get themselves in all kinds of bother. They're hurting themselves. That's what sin does. Sin is not your friend. Sin is your greatest enemy. It's not even the devil that's your greatest enemy. It's sin. It hurts you every time. Every time. And people inspired by the devil say, well, as long as you're not hurting anyone. Fools! Every time you sin, you're hurting someone, even if it is only yourself. And usually it isn't. Usually you take down others with you. When you sin, sin hurts. It robs you of peace. It robs you of happiness. God's word has given every one of us a map so that we can avoid this pain. God's word shows every one of us how to find peace for our soul. I mean, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. It couldn't be clearer. It just could not be clearer. <laughs> it says if we, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, including the pain of it. Man, 
God's word tells us to how to find happiness and peace. Don't you want it? Are you going to believe the lie that sin keeps telling you? God's word is our, your, our <laughs> greatest source of wisdom for your life. You're not going to get a greater source of wisdom than God's word. If your life is in pain and agony and anguish right now, I tell you, God's word has got the remedy. God's word has got the remedy. This is not just a book. This is not just a book of philosophy and nice ideas. This is a map. The front of the little Gideon's Bible says it's a lamp in a dark world. And it is. And while we hear Jeremiah interacting with God and God saying, they haven't listened to you, they haven't listened to you. Well, Jeremiah, write it down. Maybe they'll listen then. There, there are going to be more people who, who probably won't set foot in this church, but you're going to have contact with them. And maybe all you can do is leave, maybe you give them a Bible. Share the word of God with them. Because every person's greatest need is not what they think it is. The greatest need that every person has is to experience, not just to know what it is, but to experience it, the forgiveness of God. If you're indifferent, if you're looking at people like, oh, well, you know, I go to church, I'll die one day, I'll go to heaven. They don't go to church, they don't love God, they'll probably die and go to hell. Oh, well, big deal, whatever. God, forgive you. <laughs> what is going on with a heart like that? Haven't we got a heart that says, man, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. You've seen the end of Schindler's List? You ever seen that? And can you watch that where, where Liam Neeson playing Oscar Schindler, who, who has bribed Nazis to, to let people out of concentration camps and forged documents to say that they were needed for the German war effort. He sold everything he could. And at the end of the war, the Jews come up to him and give him a, a medallion or something to say, thank you, thank you for what you've done. And as his driver pulls up, here's Oscar Schindler looks at his car and goes, oh my, I could have sold that. That was three lives. And he's not looking at the medal. He's looking at what he could have done. I mean, if your heart is stirred by the fact that you've experienced forgiveness, you've received it, how could you not want to share it? How could you not want to share it? You can't look at people the same. You can't. You just can't do it. No! (laughs) The forgiveness of God changes your life and the greatest need people have is to experience it. To experience it. If you know peace with God, you literally sleep sweet. I realize I'm not talking like a man. You sleep sweet at night. I go, oh, I'm a picture bit. You do. You sleep sweetly at night because you know the peace of God. And here, Paul, writing to the Ephesians, it, look, this sounds a little bit religious in the language he uses because he uses big words like redemption and he talks about the blood of Jesus, but it's powerful. This is really powerful. And as we celebrate a communion, Reese pointed this out beautifully. In him we have redemption. Who, who is him? Jesus, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We've been forgiven because Jesus has paid the price. Because where there is sin, there must be blood. And it's the blood of Jesus that's been shed on your behalf. 
And someone has said, if you were the only person to have ever lived, Jesus still would have died on the cross for you. Man, your greatest need is not to express yourself. Your greatest need is not to find yourself. Your greatest need is not to be yourself. Your greatest need is to experience the forgiveness of God. It's your greatest need. And Jeremiah is told to write it down so that they might hear. And here's the question. Are you hearing God's word speak to your soul? When I read, as I said, I'm reading through Isaiah and I'm mixing it up by looking in the New Testament as well. And as I read it, I've got to stop. I've got to pause. I've got to go, oh God, this grips my soul. It transforms me. I can't be the same. I can't be the same for what I've just read. Are you hearing God's word in your soul? But can I tell you, hearing it is only half the equation. The other half sounds like hearing. It's heeding. And heeding means you're taking it and you're living it out. Are you heeding God's word for the good of your soul? Here's the thing. Jeremiah pleaded with these people to receive the forgiveness of God. And most of them didn't. Most, but some did. In fact... As he was pleading with them, there were some young kids. One of them, his name was Daniel. Now, there was three other guys who used to hang with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They all got it. And they were taken away to Babylon and they said, no, no, we're, we're remaining loyal to God. You see, his, his what looked to be like an unsuccessful witness was actually very successful. And you may be put off from sharing the forgiveness of God because you feel quite unsuccessful. But can I encourage you? You don't know what seeds you might be sowing as you remain faithful to Christ. You just don't know. Keep going. Keep being faithful to Christ. And here's my question for you. If you've been forgiven by God, are you sowing the kind of seeds that will help others to experience his forgiveness as well? Let's pray. And right now I want to pray for two people. First person is the person who's never experienced the forgiveness of God. And the second person is the one who has and isn't doing anything about it. Let me pray for those who need to be forgiven by God. Whether you're listening right now, right here, whether you're listening by radio, by podcast, whether you're watching this live anywhere in the world, you need to know the forgiveness of God. You are one prayer away from being forgiven by God. A prayer that says, oh God, Please come into my life and forgive me. Heal my heart and help me to live for you. You pray a prayer like that. Please let us know because we want to help you on that journey. And now, Lord, I pray for us as a church. That, Father, we might be a people that sow the kind of seeds that will help others to come to experience the forgiveness of God. That parents might sow it into their children that work colleagues might sow it into their workplace, that students might sow it into their schools, that we would be people who sow the grace of God into others, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The message of God's forgiveness is the most powerful one you will hear and it's the only way to find peace for your soul. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, That I May Forgive, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. 
Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.